This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. Happy anniversary. Yes, you can find a place to be seated. Happy anniversary. Come on now, you can wake up. Oh, 15 years ago this morning, 245 of us gathered in the midst of the worst weather day of the year, and uh, we wondered what God would do among us, and you are the answer to that. So it's been a fun ride, and I think the best of that ride is yet ahead of us, and uh, we have some fun stuff to go over this morning to celebrate, so uh, guys, if you would just come and... and uh, you know, normally when we pass baskets, we're asking you to put something in. Now we're getting you to take something out, all right? So you can take out one of the brochures. Take a look at the video screens. This is actually our church's report card for the last year. And uh, so this is going to be a whole lot of fun to go to go over together. You can look up on the video screens. And um, I, the, the thing I want to highlight absolutely the most is... This is 15 years of transforming lives because that's what the bottom line is. It's not about getting people to church. It's not even about all the fun activities that we have as a church. It's it's about God transforming our lives. And so starting right up at the front, you can look, you can see there are three uh, facts and figures on on the front side. Let's take the light green one first. It's a figure that blew me away. Uh, I had our staff begin tracking the number of volunteer hours that were put into our church uh, over uh, 2012. That's the number. Do you see it there? What is it? Let's read it out loud. 20,111 hours. Is that a big number? That's a huge number. You know what that equates to? 400 hours per week. Think about that for a minute. 400 hours per week. That's the equivalent of 10 full-time staff members. You guys are awesome. Now, how many people put in those 20,000 hours? Look at the next column. 572 different people we were able to track took part in some area of service or ministry in our church this year. That's awesome, isn't it? That's a great number. That means virtually all of you have participated and served in some way. And then the last column has to do with how much money was donated. And it was $744,000 or just under three quarters of a million dollars. That's what God did through you. I think he deserves a hand, don't you? Most pastors in our country, if you were to say to them, if I could, if I could give you a church that puts in 20,000 volunteer hours every year from 472, 572 different people and contributes three quarters of a million dollars, would you take that church? They would go, that sounds like heaven on earth to me. It is. It's great. Now let's open up the inside. And there's a, there's a page that has a tree on the, in the middle of it, our logo tree. Uh, it's our icon for our church. And I'm not going to take the time to read through all those boxes, but there are nine boxes, if I remember right. 
And that's just the extra stuff that, that God did through us outside of new life. The bottom you can see three and a quarter tons of food we distributed that was donated by people from new life and we distributed in, in various events and so forth. But I'll just save you the math. If, if you were to add up all of those numbers and you were to give, uh, a decent number to that three and a quarter tons of food, what you're looking at is a little bit over $50,000 of things that we did over and above what we usually do here at New Life. That's awesome stuff here and around the world. I want to give you a couple of other figures on the Being Transformed page, which is the one that has the triangles all at the top. There you go. You can see it on the on the video screens, take a look at the, at the gray section in the middle. It says, every Sunday people visit New Life for the first time. Last year, 389 new people or families visited our church in one year. Most of those are families. In other words, those are what we have. When we ask you to, to uh, fill out the Connect card and pass it in, we got 389 Connect cards from people we had never gotten Connect cards from before. They would be first-time guests. And oftentimes, it's a husband and wife filling out one Connect card for their whole family. So that translates in probably closer to 1,000 people who visited New Life last year. That's pretty cool, don't you think? Now I want to give you the most important number on the whole thing. And then you can take this home and read through it. There's lots of other interesting facts and figures but if you go to the triangles and you look at the one that's on the furthest right, the green one, it says decisions for Christ. These are people who made the decision to become a Christian or rededicated their lives last year, 192 of them. That's an awesome figure, isn't it? So on this 15th anniversary, we are celebrating that God does stuff through us that we never thought possible. And this is a church uh, of people that just connect with God and say, God, do something through me. Do something in my life that I could never do on my own. I I want the good life that only you can give. And that's going to be our theme for the morning. We're going to talk about the good life. But right now, I'd like to ask you to stand because we're going to give a great prayer of thanksgiving to God for 15 great years of drawing us together I realize as I look around the audience that there's a story behind every single person standing here. God did something in your life, brought somebody into your life, did something that caused you to seek or did something in their life that caused them to invite you. And whatever that story is, it ended up with you being here this morning as a part of this church because God's working in your life. Let's be grateful. Father, 15 years of you Sunday after Sunday after Sunday calling us together and every Sunday bringing new people into this part of your kingdom and every Sunday calling people to points of decision and every Sunday giving them tools that they can go out and they can learn how to walk in the life that you make available to us. It's been 15 years of learning how to reach out and take hold of the life that you have for us. And God, we're thankful for every story behind every single person who
who's here today and what you did in each of our lives to bring us to this place, to bring us to this point of connection with you. And Father, it's not lost on us that that was not easy in many of our cases because we were resistive. And when someone said, hey, why don't you come and go to church with me? We looked at them like, are you kidding? And yet, as you continue to work in our lives, eventually you got us here. And what we have found in you, we just sang about. Freedom reigns in this place. Showers of mercy and grace falling on every face. Lord, in the midst of our gratitude for how that freedom is falling into our lives and your grace is falling into our lives, we're reminded that there are thousands all around us who just don't know it yet. Lord, would you work through us so that the next 15 years of this church would be even more productive than the first 15. We bless you for every single day, every single life you've changed, every single moment you've brought us to a point of decision. And this morning, God, it's all about you. We honor and bless you. And we do it in the name of your great son, Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Let's have one more round of applause for God. Yes. Go ahead and grab a seat. We have a, a gift for everybody on the way out. I'll let Kevin tell you about that in a little bit. Uh, but for right now, I want to do some teaching. So uh, if you would grab a couple of things out of your... Actually, I'm going to ask you to grab three things this morning. So you're going to have to be multitasking. First of all, take the long skinny card. Those of you who come here all the time know what that's about. Put your name on the front of it. If you're here for the very first time, we, we are dead serious about helping you connect with God. This is a church that's a lot of fun to go to, but it's more than just fun. It's about connecting with God and having Him transform and change our lives, and we want Him to change yours. So um, if you would fill out the, at the bottom the contact information box, Put as much information as there as you're comfortable with because the more information you give us, the better we can connect with you and help you get connected with God. And at the end of the service, uh, we'll show you how to turn that in. For now, you can set that aside. Second thing you need to take out are the teaching notes. It's the only thing in there that has fill in the blanks on it, and we're going to walk our way through that. And the third thing that you want to pull out is this thing called the good life, Okay. It's a bookmark, and uh, we're going to work our way through that a little bit later because everybody wants the good life. This is the beginning of a new sermon series. It's called Counterculture. And uh, I, there are just so many ways in which the church, the kingdom of Christ, is a countercultural thing. Not that it rebels against the culture, not that it hates the culture, but the truth is anyone can just jump into a culture and float downstream and end up where our culture ends up. And I love our country and I love our culture, but there are some things about our culture that I frankly don't want to participate in. 
No disrespect to anyone who's been through a marriage and a divorce. No disrespect at all. But I'm not okay with 50% of the marriages in our culture ending in divorce. Are you okay with that? No, I'm not okay with that. I don't want to get in that stream and just float because I know where that's going to go. I'm not okay with the part of our culture that, that tends to raise people that are violent and go into movie theaters and, do, and, and shoot people up. Are you okay with that? Not okay with that either. I don't want to get in that part of our culture. I love our country, and I love so much about our culture. But friends, Christ came and said to the people of His day and to the people of every culture that have ever lived that if you just jump into the mainstream of that culture, eventually it takes you to a place you don't want to go. But if you're willing to jump into the culture of my kingdom, it will lead you counterculture. You won't hate that culture, but you can experience transformation on the inside of that culture. Are you up for that? Are you really up for that? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. And we're going to do it out of the context of Jesus' most famous sermon. I know that you've heard of it. It's called the Sermon on the what? Sermon on the Mount. And it was the very first sermon that, that we have recorded in the Bible that Jesus gave. And it's the, it's the one that's recorded in the most detail. And it was the most important sermon that Jesus ever gave. Because in it, he outlined why he came. We're going to jump into that through a different story. I want to tell you the story of two guys, Walter and Arthur. This is a true story. Walter and Arthur were best of friends. And one day Walter said to Arthur, Arthur, I want to take you on a drive and I want to lay out before you a business proposal. was not Amway. No offense to any Amway people here. But I have a business proposal to make to you. And so Arthur said, okay, I'll do it. So Walter and Arthur got in a car and Walter drove out into the country and stopped in the middle of a bunch of farmland. There was nothing but orange trees as far as you could see. And Walter said, Arthur, get out of the car. Here's the deal. He said, I want you to imagine right here, I'm going to buy this 160 acres right here. And on that 160 acres, I am going to build a magic kingdom. It's going to be known as the happiest place on the earth. And the reason I have you here, I'm building a miniature city with a main street. And at the end of the main street, there's going to be a huge palace down there with a moat around the palace. And I'm going to build a train that's going to go around this thing. And people are going to come from all over the world because this is going to be the happiest place on earth. And Arthur, here's the deal I'm making you. You want to buy this property all around it. Because it's going to become some of the most expensive property in the world. Now you figured out who Walter was, right? Walt Disney. His friend, Art Linkletter. Now here's Art's response. I said, Walt, man, you're a great guy. You're my best friend. But as long as I've known you, you've been a dreamer. You're always cooking up something, man. And part of that I love about you, but you've been bankrupt once. You've run out of money four times that I know of. You've changed careers four different times that I know of. 
And you're telling me you're going to build the happiest place on earth in the middle of an orange grove. Dude, I'm just not buying. Now, Art used to tell the story on himself all the time. He said, in that moment, I passed up the very best offer I ever had in my life. I just didn't see it. I want you to know over and over and over again, the Bible says this, that Jesus came preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven. If you've read the Bible, you know it's in there hundreds of times. He came preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And friends, it wasn't a magic kingdom with a train and a palace at the end of it. Okay? It wasn't a kingdom unlike Disneyland, which is a great place to go. I had a guy say to me yesterday, you know the great thing about Disneyland? Everybody goes three times. Once as a kid, once as a parent, once as a grandparent. At least three times everybody goes, right? Of course. And the amazing thing about Disneyland is that it temporarily transforms cranky little kids into kids whose eyes are just wide open with wonder and awe as they see the real live Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and all that stuff. And you know, I've seen it temporarily transform some big kids like us. And, it, and it, what it does is it transports us out of our world of pressures and deadlines and responsibilities. And it puts us in a world where we don't have any of them. And for a whole day we forget who we really are. Yeah. Jesus came and said, how about a kingdom that doesn't just sprinkle magic dust on you for a day or with a three-day pass? Would you settle for a kingdom that would change your whole life? And would you settle for a kingdom that could get you life after death in a place where there is no evil? Would you be up for that? Does that sound almost too good to be true? And how about if we made the entrance to that kingdom not a hundred or a hundred and twenty-five dollars a day like you pay to go to Disneyland? How about if we made the entrance to that kingdom paid for by the death of my son and you get in free? Does that sound too good to be true? In some ways it does. But friends, any offer that God makes is going to stretch our ability to believe that it's true. Because it comes from a God who loves us, who is our eternal heavenly Father, and who would do anything for us to just get in His kingdom. You see, the real question is this. Where's the good life? And most of us spend our lives chasing the good life. When I was a kid, it was Miller Beer, I believe who used to talk about the good life being the Miller life. Yeah. Everybody who's 35 or older is laughing, and everybody under 35 is going, what's that? <laughs> okay? But we spend our lives looking for the good life. 
And some of us try to chase it through beer, and some of us try to get it through marijuana, and some of us try to get it through climbing the corporate ladder, and some of us try to get it by buying a particular kind of car, or by living in a particular zip code, or whatever it is. And we just chase and chase and chase and chase. And Jesus says, I want you to know this. You want to know where the good life is? Here's the next thing on your notes. The good life is actually found in the kingdom. You see, one of the great mistakes that, that is just sort of natural for us human beings to make is we think that the good life is found in a particular kind of behavior. Which is why, other than Jesus Christ, every other major world religion founder came with a set of rules and regulations. No disrespect to Buddha, but Buddha would say to you, the way to the good life is following the eightfold path. You have to understand these eight principles and you have to order your life around these eight principles. And the better you keep these eight principles, the more likely you are to achieve enlightenment because enlightenment is where the good life is. And friends, I could go down every other major world religion and lay out for you the basic tenets of that religion. And without exception, it's about keeping a set of rules and regulations. And so oftentimes when people look at Jesus, they think that what he came was to lay out a set of rules and regulations. And if you keep them well enough, you end up in the good place after you die. But if you don't keep them well enough, you end up in the bad place. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That, that's oftentimes how Christianity is characterized. And Jesus is over on the sidelines going, whoa, time out, time out. That's not actually what it's about. It's not about modifying a behavior. The good life is found in the kingdom. It's found in kingdom life. And the deal is Jesus came offering entrance into his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And it's about, it's about getting entrance into that kingdom. And then it's about participating in kingdom life. And when we talk Sunday after Sunday about learning how to reach out and take hold of the life Christ has for us. Friends, if you ever try to reduce that into a set of five or six or ten or twenty or six hundred commandments that you keep, you'll never, ever, ever get the good life. Because it's not found in a set of rules and regulations. It's found in a kingdom. You see, the kingdom that Jesus talked about is actually a greenhouse for the human spirit. Imagine with me if you were a plant and someone were to come along to you and say, I want to talk to you about a kingdom. And this is a kingdom where the rain always falls. There's never a drought in this kingdom. And there's never a flood in this kingdom. But the rain always falls in just the right amount and, and, and just the right frequency. And the temperature in this kingdom, it's never too cold. And it's never too hot. And the humidity in this kingdom, it's never too dry. And it's never too humid. Everything about this kingdom is ideal for plants. It's absolutely wonderful. You just can't imagine it. But I'll tell you what, if you could ever get in this place, you would grow like you can't imagine. If you were a typical plant, you'd have the same response as Art Linkletter. I'm not sure such a place exists on the earth. But you and I both know 
that that's a greenhouse where it's never too hot, never too cold. It's never too humid. It's never too dry. It never floods. There's never a drought. Why? Because it's the ideal condition in which plants can grow. And it's where they become the most productive. And Jesus said, my kingdom is like a greenhouse for the human spirit. You want the good life? It's in my kingdom. It's not found anywhere else. And that's why the Bible says Jesus came preaching and teaching the good news of the greater commandments. Is that what it says? No, he came preaching and teaching the good news of what? The kingdom. Right? It's about the kingdom. Because where's the good life found? The good life is found in a kingdom. What's that kingdom like? That kingdom is like a greenhouse for the human spirit. Now, what is it that makes a greenhouse a greenhouse? It's a culture within a culture. Greenhouses are not places out of this world. They're in this world, but they are a specially created culture on the inside of the greater culture that is this earth. Can I tell you, that's just a wonderful picture of what Jesus creates in His kingdom. He doesn't take us out of this earth. Not at all. He creates a culture on the inside of this culture. And guess what? It's counterculture. It's not rebelling against this culture. It's not hibernating from this culture. But you know what Jesus creates in His kingdom? He creates a culture that actually transforms the culture around it. It's an amazing thing how God has wired it up. Because the kingdom of Jesus is a culture within a culture. And it's a culture of transformation. In the kingdom of Jesus... He transforms despair into hope. In the kingdom of Jesus, He transforms bondage into freedom. In the kingdom of Jesus, He transforms judgment into mercy and grace. In the kingdom of Jesus, He transforms hatred into love. In the kingdom of Jesus, He transforms bigotry and prejudice into acceptance and equality. The kingdom of Jesus, He transforms sin into righteousness. The kingdom of Jesus, He transforms the temporary into the eternal. The kingdom of Jesus, He transforms brokenness into wholeness. Kingdom of Jesus transforms sickness in, into health. In the kingdom of Jesus, he transforms dysfunction into functionality. You like that kingdom? It's what we all want, it's what we all need. And in the end, it's what we all don't live well without. And that's why Jesus left heaven. What would it take to get God to leave heaven and come to earth? Would it take something big? Yeah, it would. You know what was big enough? 
God looking at His children and seeing this culture and saying, boy, do I have a culture that's way better than that. I want to come and teach my people about the culture in my kingdom. This culture within a culture. Because it would change their lives in every way. So how does all that work? Here's the last truth I'm going to teach you about Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom is wherever Christ reigns. You know the amazing thing about Christ's kingdom is unlike the limitations of Disneyland where in order to experience it, you actually have to go there and once you leave the gates, you leave it all behind, correct? And now you're back in the real world. And unlike the culture of a greenhouse where you actually have to take the plants into the greenhouse for them to receive the blessing of the greenhouse, the amazing thing about the kingdom of Christ is that it's both personal and portable. You can take it with you wherever you go. It's a personal kingdom in that you're not roped into this kingdom in massive groups. You only get into this kingdom by making a personal decision and you're the only one who can make it. Which is why in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity and I'm going to do everything I can to encourage you, if you're not, if you haven't made that decision, to make the decision to become a follower of Christ and to get into His kingdom because that's the deal that Jesus is making. The offer to enter His kingdom is open today. It's been open for 2,000 years, but it is closing at some point and it's closing for you at a minimum at the end of your life. Well, why would you wait to the end of your life to get in on the best deal you'll ever get? Something could change your life and make your life worth living. It's personal, but it's portable. And one of the great things that I love about the people of this church and one of the great things I love about the kingdom of Christ is that we can go out and take the kingdom of Christ to the people in our neighborhoods. How do you do that? By grabbing them around the scruff of the neck and dragging them to church? No. Just go be a follower of Christ wherever you are. It's amazing how when Christ comes in and changes your life and you begin to experience transformation, the people around you look at you and they think, wow, I like them. I don't know what, I don't know what happened in them, but I like them. And when you go serve on the PTA of your school and you are just a Christian and you're not there to promote, quote, Christian values and force Christian values, but you genuinely care about children and you genuinely care about the families of those children and you genuinely care about that school and you're willing to do most anything to help and you love everyone who comes through the door and you love everyone who's on the PTA, even the ones you don't like, you love them and you express love to them and acceptance to them and you carry this culture of grace... Friends, there's something about that that the world says, man, I want some of that. It's amazing how the kingdom of Christ is so transformational when God's people get it out of the realm of keeping a set of rules and put it in the realm of Christ. Just come and reign in my heart.
Yeah, show me what to do. Show me what not to do. I I get that. I want that. But more than I want a set of do this and don't do that, I want a king who reigns in my heart and who brings transformation. And friends, that's what the Sermon on the Mount was all about. Jesus came, and in this most important sermon, he began to outline the culture of what it was going to be like in his kingdom. And this was a culture of transformation. And if you've read the Sermon on the Mount before, you know it begins with a statement that says, Blessed are the pure in heart, are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. And oftentimes people think, how can I be poor in heart because I sure want to see God? How can I be poor in spirit because I sure want to see God? What is that behavior that I need to build in my life so I can get this end result? And friend, if that's how you come to the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to come at Jesus like you come at everything else in life. Change my behavior and hopefully I'll get better. Here's the truth. Any religion can make you a better person. Simply by changing your behavior, it will, it will improve your life. But only Jesus can change your heart, soul, and spirit and give you the real good life. Because he doesn't, through it. he doesn't do it purely by changing your behavior. He does it, are you ready for it? He does it by changing your nature. Imagine that. The kingdom of Christ is wherever Christ reigns. Now take out your bookmark, because we're going to... I took the liberty to expand each of these um, nine statements at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in which he describes the culture that's going to exist in his new kingdom. And I just expanded them out with some of the rest of the teaching that Jesus would give throughout his ministry. So what you have in the bold is the, are the actual words of the Bible, and what you have underneath is the expanded version that has folded into it a lot of the rest of the teaching of Jesus. So I'm just going to read it out loud to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Expanded, the good life is found by those who recognize their need for spiritual growth and development. You know what that is? That's being poor in spirit. You understand the poverty of your own spiritual condition because Christ's kingdom is most powerful in them. Secondly, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Expanded, it means the good life is found by those who genuinely grieve over their sinful nature because they will find comfort through full repentance and transformation in Christ's kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The good life is found by those who choose the quiet strength that comes only through gentleness and humility. Because that word that's translated meek in the English, actually if you look at its core in the original language, it means gentleness and humility. The good life is found by those who choose the quiet strength of those because they will inherit the new earth in Christ's kingdom. Interesting how Jesus laid that out in his ministry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
for they will be filled. The good life is found by those who inwardly crave the justice and equity for all people. By the way, if you look up that word in the original language that's translated righteousness there, at its base, it literally means equal. It has to do with equality and justice. That's another whole study. But the good life is found by those who inwardly crave. That's the hunger and the thirst. Inwardly crave equity for all people that comes in Christ's kingdom because they will end up feeling satisfied and thrilled as they see it come to pass. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The good life is found by those who understand that grace is the culture of Christ's kingdom. And they freely extend it to all because a ready supply awaits them when they need it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The good life is found by those who allow the culture of purity in Christ's kingdom. By the way, is that counterculture? I never saw the movie. I have no desire to see the movie. But I remember seeing the title, The Last American Virgin. Think that movie was about purity? I didn't, I didn't see it, but I'm guessing it probably wa- probably wasn't. Purity is something that's laughed at in our culture as being naive. Friends, don't ever let anyone teach you that purity is a disadvantage because it keeps you naive. I don't want you to be naive, but I don't want you to be defiled either. God doesn't want you to be defiled. Now look what he says. The good life is found by those who allow the culture of purity in Christ's kingdom to permeate their inner thoughts and attitudes. That's the pure in heart. Because God consistently reveals Himself to them. You want God to reveal Himself to you? One of the first things you have to do is you've got to up the purity level in your life and lower the impurity level. Nothing will separate you from God faster than sin and harbored sin in your life. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children or the sons of God. The good life is found by those who work to help their neighbors find peace with God and with each other. Why? Because as children of God, they are living out the central purpose of Christ's kingdom. Did you know the central purpose of Christ's kingdom is to help you make peace with God and to help you bring peace into the hearts of those around you. It's true. And last of all, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The good life is found by those who pass the test of opposition and persecution because they have chosen to live as Jesus lived, and they end up receiving everything the kingdom of Christ has to offer. Friends, as we close, a couple of things. I made that as a bookmark because I would like for you to keep it in your Bible and read it. Okay, I made it as a bookmark because it would be impossible, impossible for me to break out the theology behind every single one of those statements. 
But I can tell you that the summarizing statement has a lot of theology packed into it. And I want to encourage you to take one of those each day and make that the focal point of your time with God. And say, God, would you break this out for me so that I can understand what it means to be poor in spirit. So I can know how important spiritual growth and development is in my life. So I can reach out and take hold of the life you have for me because I want the kingdom life. I want to live in that culture in that counterculture culture, in that greenhouse for my human spirit that you gave me. So that's why I want you to take it with you. As we apply this, there are three things that we can do. Okay, I'm going to give you a fourth one, actually. I've only got three on the cards. But uh, the first one is, if you haven't made the decision to become a Christian, do it today. Become a follower of Christ today. Say, I want in on that good life right now. And um, you, you check that on, on uh, the bottom of your notes there. Also on the Connect card, if you would pull that card out right now, it'll help you respond. Those of you who are brand new, if you'll pull that out, all the rest of us know what to do with this. But in the middle of the backside, there's a place that says, I want to apply today's teaching by. And if you check the, the box that says Becoming a Christian uh, Today, then uh, you can expect contact from me or one of our staff this week. And, and we're going to lead you through that process so you don't miss out on any of it. And you actually know what it means to be connected with Christ and, and to get entrance into His kingdom. Secondly, I will focus on one of these kingdom life descriptions every day this week. If that's something God calls you to, I know it will enrich your life. And I know that it will give you a better understanding of what Christ's kingdom is then you can choose to do that and then obviously follow through on that. Don't just say, uh, I'm just going to do all eight in one or nine in, in, in one set. No, no, one a day. So it becomes a focal point in your life for that day and it gets burned a little deeply into your human spirit. And then last of all, I want to rededicate my life to Christ. There are people in our room that at one point walked with Him but now have wandered or have allowed some sin to come into their life that's now separating them from God. And it's time to set that aside and say, no, I'm getting back into full kingdom life. I'm, I'm no longer playing the half game. I'm all in. Whatever your decision, you make it while I pray. Father, I pray for my friends. It's a big concept and in some ways it's so foreign to our human spirit that, that pleasing you is not found in a particular set of behaviors, but it's found in embracing your kingdom and then saying, God, would you come into my life in a powerful way and transform me, change my nature so that I can become this person of peace and this person of grace and this person of purity and and, and this person of strength that can withstand the persecution because I'm tied into you and because I've been changed in your kingdom. God, would you meet us where we are? Call us to respond as you want us to. I pray in your name. Amen. One other thing, the fourth area. If you struggle with really connecting with God, there's a life group called The Life You've Always Wanted. That would be a great life group for you. So if you're not already signed up, or even if you signed up in a different life group and you want to change, that's okay too. But that's the life group that's about kingdom life itself. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. 
You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.